10 this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're with, um, or the Apostle Paul, is, he, he's, he's refuting some of the criticism of himself, and they're saying terrible things about him. Uh, they say to him, you know, well, his letters, his, uh, when, he, when he writes to us, he sounds like a real big man. But you know what? If you saw him, he really doesn't add up to much at all. And um, if you, he speaks, it's just, it's dreary. Right? And so Paul is writing back in, in 2 Corinthians, and he, he's defending himself and defending his ministry and, and speaking to them. And we're going to cover it over the next couple of chapters as well. But what I want us to look at today is the la- second last verse of that chapter. Verse 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17. It's on the screen there uh, ahead of you. Uh, and he says, but he that glorious, let him glory in the Lord. Paul could have answered and told them how great a man he was. He could have told them about his, uh, his training with Gamaliel. He could have told them how he knew the Old Testament. He could have told them how the Lord had used him. He could have told them how Jesus had appeared to him. You know, <clears throat> but he doesn't do any of that. And here's the reason why. Because he says, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. Now, he's actually quoting from Jeremiah, uh, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Uh, he quotes from the twice in the Corinthian letters. He, he quotes in, in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, he quotes the same thought. Corinthians, And we'll look at that uh, in a little bit. <clears throat> but what he's doing is he's talking about, let him the glory of glory in the Lord. Right. <clears throat> so verse uh, 23, thus said the Lord... Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You know, you and I have lots of things that we want to enjoy, we want to rejoice in, we want to glory in. The Corinthians want to glory in a preacher that is, to their minds, fit for purpose as far as they're concerned. And Paul says, no, glory in the Lord. Now, we need to get that into our heads and into our hearts, that my glory is not on this planet. My glory is never going to be on this planet. My glory is in him. Paul said this. He said, I will not glory save in the cross of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, I want to glory in him. He is my glory. We need to work our hearts around that idea and come to the place where we're actually glorying in the Lord. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, touch it and see uh, how much of it we can grab hold of. And and let's ask the Lord to do that work in our hearts, because this is a truth that Paul thinks uh, important enough to have quoted it twice in Corinthians, and he's looking back at this truth that we're looking at this morning. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to you now? Lord, we need you, and we need your word. Uh, we need your spirit to take and to apply the word in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we in ourselves uh, cannot do it. Help us, Lord. Uh, may your spirit work in our hearts and lives now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first of all, he says, don't live for wisdom. <clears throat> don't live for wisdom. Now, 
you know, when we talk about wisdom, we talk about something that's very important to us, and we all want to be wise. We all want to uh, understand life. And talking about wisdom, real wisdom is when when we're walking with God and know his power and know his uh, presence in our lives. And we're we're doing the things he would have us to do. But do you know that there's a pitfall even in that for us? You see, if you walk with God for any length of time and you read his word and you apply his word to your life, do you know you're going to get wise? Yeah, oh, you're going to get wise. Now, uh, you can listen to God and not apply his word. You're not going to be wise. Right? It's, it's the application of the word. It's the living by the word that makes you wise. And, you know, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this thing. He talks about the wise man that built his house upon the rock and the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. Both of them heard, uh, but the foolish man heard and didn't do. Now, nobody here wants to be that foolish man. Nobody wants to be the person whose house collapses. Uh, so what we, what we spend our time and our lives doing is we spend our time and our lives trying to be wise, trying to follow God's way and do God's thing. But do you know that there can be a pitfall there? Do you know that we can get proud? You know, when you learn how to run life a bit better, and I hope you had do since you got saved, because you ought to be. But when you learn to run life a bit better and you learn to actually get things going in the right direction, you can come to the place where you actually let your wisdom become a stumbling block. Because you think your wisdom is you. You know, it's, it's this, the, where, where, where the pride comes in and we begin to think, you know what, I really have my stuff together. Look at all those poor people out there. They haven't got their stuff together, but I have my stuff together. And you can actually glory in that. You can become self-reliant instead of God-dependent. It's so easy for us to do. I watch people around me doing it all the time. I've done it a time or two myself. Where, where you know, in a godly kind of a way almost, uh, you become self-reliant because you know what? You've got some things together. And that is spiritual suicide to us. Do you know that? It's spiritual suicide because the, 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 the emphasis quietly shifts from God to me. The emphasis shifts from I need him to the emphasis to the answer. Well, I've got a lot. I, I kind of know it. And, I, and, it shift, and pride steps in. And it is so easy for me to become self-reliant instead of God-dependent. That's what happened to Solomon. Remember Solomon, the wisest man in all the world? Well, when God comes to him first, this man is so humble. God says, what will I do for you, Solomon? Solomon could have asked for riches. He could have asked for the death of his enemies. He could have asked for anything. But he says, you know what, Lord? I'm not wise enough to do this job. I've, I've got to lead your people. They're great people. And I, don't, I don't have it in me. Lord, would you give me wisdom so that I can lead your people? And God was so pleased. that You know what he did? He gave him wisdom and riches. And, and there was not a king like him in all the world. But you know what happened as Solomon got older? He depended on his own wisdom. He thought he knew better. He thought he had it all together. He thought he could work it out and he could do it all. And, you know, he was there and he was making political alliances and, and you know, he wouldn't marry a wife because that made it, it was politically expedient. It made he was allied with somebody and, and his kingdom was going well. And, and he thought, you know, it's fine. I can handle it. But God had said, no, you're not to multiply wives. God had said there were certain peoples that the nation of Israel were never to marry into. Solomon was wise. He was, he was too wise to uh, be foolish like that. He was too wise to, uh, to, to, to lose the plot and, and do something daft. But he did. He did. 
Bob says that his wives turned his hearts away. The wrong wives. God said, don't marry them. His wives turned his heart away. And Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth, ended up worshiping idols. And God broke the kingdom because of it. God was not happy. Now, he starts off in this beautiful, humble, wonderful place, but his wisdom, the man that wrote the Proverbs for us, his wisdom got in the way, and he started to glory in his wisdom. What a great man am I. I know a lot of stuff. People really pay attention to what I say. People listen up when I'm saying it. And his wisdom came between him and God. Isn't that a turn up for the books? I think that could happen to you and I. You know, I think it could. I think anything that happens to anybody in the Bible could happen to you and me. I think, listen, God gives us wisdom uh, and he builds into our lives as we take on board his word and add to his word. And listen, life gets good. Now, if you walk in wisdom, life works a whole lot better. If you do the things God wants you to do, I can guarantee your life's going to be a, going to be a better life. But you know what? Remember, it's not you. It's him. It's not your ability and your wisdom. It's you just humbly following him. And don't glory in your wisdom. Don't glory in the fact that you know a thing or two about a thing or two. Don't glory in the fact that you've actually taken on board some truth and you're living better than the people around you. That's not you. That's him. Because you know what? Anything God gives you can be taken back in a heartbeat. Who would have thought? Who, who, who would ever have thought that Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, would end up worshipping idols? If you'd have told Solomon that after God had said, I'll give you... <clears throat> uh, I'll, you ask me what you, what you want. Solomon, if you told Solomon, said, Solomon, one day you're going to end up worshiping idols, he would have laughed in your face. He would have said, do you know who I am? Do you know I'm the wisest man in the world now? There's no way I would stoop down and bow to dumb idols. It's impossible. But he did. And part of the problem at least was that, you know what? He began to glory in his wisdom. People thought he was wonderful, so he began to think he was wonderful and began to glory in his wisdom. And he forgot that everything that God gives is given in association, in connection to God. Abiding in Christ is the reality of anything we have from God. The Bible says Christ can be our wisdom and our riches and our glory, but it's all in him. You and I, you, you and I are never going to have enough so we can walk away from God and, and expect it to last. Never. Don't glory in your wisdom. Second thing he says, though, is this. He says, uh, don't live for power. <clears throat> now, you know, you know, they say that, that, that they used to say that there were three things that could bring uh, somebody down. Uh, they said it was gold and it was gals and it was glory. Right? <clears throat> and, um, you know, the reality of life is that there are things that have the ability to undermine us. And one of those things is power. You know, <clears throat> We can live for power. We can want power. And you know what? Just, it's not wrong for you to be wise. That's a good thing for you to be wise. It's just good for you to remember where you got it. And it's not wrong for you to have power. Just don't live for power and don't think power is where it's all at. You know, you, you may get along in life and you may come to a position where people listen to you and where uh, you've got power and where you've got influence over people. And that's a great thing. Don't live for that. 
Don't let that be the thing uh, that, that matters to you because when you let that become the thing that matters to you, when you let the fact that you have power, it has this in, uh, incredible ability to corrupt. It isn't amazing. You watch politicians, right, <clears throat> in Ireland and, and in other places, and you watch people that come and um, <clears throat> they become politicians and, and you, you can see their motivation is wonderful. They, they want to do right. They want to be a help and a blessing to people. And then they get in power and they start doing horrible things. The power corrupts them. <clears throat> now, I, I, I honestly don't think, I suppose some of them would start off uh, with that in mind. But I would suppose that for a lot of those politicians, those people that go for power like that, uh, they want to help. They want to get things right. They want to straighten things out. They want to be a help and a blessing to people. But you know what? The power goes to their heads, doesn't it? And they begin to think more of themselves than they ought to think, and they start doing things that are wrong. You know, you and I shouldn't live for power. We should understand, you know what? We're just passing through this world. We're going somewhere else. And if God happens to give me a sphere of influence, God happens to give me some power, God happens to give you a position in work or somewhere you've got power, listen, constantly thank him for it. Don't let it go to your head. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was one that let it go to his head. Nebuchadnezzar was the, the emperor of the world in his day. He was in charge. He, he owned the world. He could rule the world. And uh, he ruled it according to what he thought. And he genuinely thought it was all of him, all about him. One day he looks out over Babylon and he says, this is not great Babylon that I have built by the power of my might. What a proud statement. And do you know that God took issue with it? Do you know that God hears the words of your mouth and knows the thoughts of your heart? Do you know that? God, God, God says he takes exception to a proud look. Now, you know what? In order for you to see a proud look, you'd have to be watching somebody's eyes pretty closely. And even then, as a human being, you wouldn't even be sure, would you? But God says, no, I, 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 I hate a proud look. It's an abomination to me. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar is looking out over Babylon and he's saying, you know what, this is, this is my Babylon. I've built it with the power of my might. Aren't I the man? And so you know what God did? God took him and put him in a grass, in a, in a field, like a cow to eat grass for seven years. Now why did God do it? God did it because he didn't want Nebuchadnezzar thinking the power was of him. And Nebuchadnezzar is one of those rare characters that actually learned the lesson. By the way, that's to his credit. A lot of people don't learn the lesson and they're just gone. They're, they're removed. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar learned the, uh, the lesson. And after seven years in Daniel 4.34, he says, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Nobody's able to, <clears throat> to stop God from doing what he wants to do. And Nebuchadnezzar realized, you know what? I'm a great king because God put me there. And he's in charge and he can do what he likes. Do you have a sweet, happy position today? Do you have a position of influence, a position of power? Recognize, first of all, that it's of God. 
Now that's of God. God's given it to you. You've got, you got a nice face, nice, recognize it's of God. And recognize this too, that it's a fleeting thing. That it's, <clears throat> that it's gone. I was reading this week about a... Uh, <clears throat> Oh, he was a comedy character, a guy called Harvey Chase, right? And Harvey Chase was, was older by this point. He was a comedian. He was older. He had been much sought after comedian uh, in his younger days. And he'd come to a place where uh, people weren't interested in him anymore. <clears throat> and so somebody's talking to him about it. And he said, there's, there's five stages in a comedian's career. career. Uh, there's who's Harvey Chase. Then there's get me Harvey Chase. Then there's get me a young Harvey Chase. Then there's get me a, ha- a Harvey Chase lookalike. And then it goes back to who's Harvey Chase. Whatever power or influence or anything you have, it's fleeting. Understand that. That you don't belong here. This is not where you're staying. You're passing through. through. Um, The hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, says, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its years away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Don't get too attached to the position God gives you in this world. Don't get too attached to power. You know what? It's not where the glory is. Then he says, don't live for money. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Now, it's very easy for us to look at money as being our glory. Because isn't that what people do? Isn't that what Solomon did? Isn't, Isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar did? Isn't... Uh, that that what people do. We, we look at the things we have and we let those things become our, our glory. And, and by the way, remember, <clears throat> I know you don't think you are. I know you probably haven't got a big fat bank balance and I know you probably haven't got millions tucked under the mattress or anything like that. But you know what? By comparison to most of the world, you are rich. You are. We got a lot. Most of you drove here in a car. All of you are going home to some, <clears throat> uh, something nice to eat. All of you have a comfortable place to sleep tonight. All of you have clothes to wear. You know what? You're rich. You got a, and it's very easy because it's so practical and it's so real for, to us. It's very easy for us to, 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 to live for that. Don't live for that. that that's, that. That's not what God wants you living for. That, that's not what your glory is. Remember that all of it, again, is given. You know, all that we have today is because he gave it to us. Everything I have is from his hand. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar was there saying, you know, is this not great Babylon that I have built by the power of my might? You know, God would have had a right to say, oh yeah, and, and who's giving you the breath you're breathing right now? And who provided the food that you've just eaten? And who's given you the health you have? And who gave you this kingdom anyway, Nebuchadnezzar? You see why God would be offended when we glory in something other than him? Anything you have today is because he gave it to you. That's just, that, that's just the reality of it. And the Bible warns us about the deceitfulness of money. It tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. That when you go after money, it'll just do a number on your soul. That it, will, that it will just actually take you over and it will devour you. Now, we don't think like that, do we? But the Bible says, don't go after money. Proverbs 23, verse 4. By the way, this is Solomon writing. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. 
Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. And, you know, here's the reality. Money just goes, doesn't it? It doesn't matter how much money you have. It just goes. Somebody wins the lotto and they think they've got it made and then they're broke. And you say, that wouldn't happen to me. <clears throat> well, I hope you're not playing the lotto, right? <clears throat> but even if you were uh, and you did win, you know what? It wouldn't last. Because, you see, those are not the things that we're supposed to glory in. God says <clears throat> that we're not to trust in uncertain riches. God says that you know, we damage our souls when we go after those things. You say, but, I, but I'd, like, I'd, I'd like to have a little to give away. Listen, you have a little to give away. If you've got more than the world, than 95% of the world has, you've got something you can give away. And by the way, if you're not giving away now, you wouldn't give away when you had millions. <clears throat> but... <clears throat> Don't live for money. Don't go after money. Uh, don't make that your life. Don't glory in those things. They're, they're incidental. You, you know when you leave this world to go to heaven? You'll leave all of it behind you. God's not going to ask you how big your bank balance was. They're incidental things. You know, in and of themselves, they're not wrong, but they're incidental things. God doesn't want you going after them with your heart. He doesn't want you living for those things. In fact, if we would look at the Bible, God would say to you, listen, your life is much more important than riches. Your, 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 your life uh, is way too important. Let, 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 the, let the loss go after those things. But listen, you seek me and my righteousness. Right? And that's what's important in your life. God says, don't go after riches. Don't, don't, don't live for, for money. And then he tells you what to live for. But let him that glorieth glory in this. That he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now, why? Why are we supposed to glory in him? Why is he supposed to be our treasure, be the most important thing to us? Why is he supposed to be the one that we live for? Why are we to go? Why are we to glory in knowing Him? Let me give you some reasons that come to mind. First of all, because knowing Him counts eternally. That counts eternally. Do you know that all that I have and all that you have, they, they, those things don't count eternally. Do you know that power, influence in this world, doesn't count for eternity? No, it can. It can. Uh, you can use it for God, and, and it, can be, uh, it can help you. But the power itself, that doesn't help you. Uh, do, do you know that um, your wisdom, the fact that you know how to handle yourself and how to live your life, won't in itself count for eternity? But do you know that knowing God will? You know, there's one relationship in your life that's eternal. That's the relationship with him. Do you know your marriage is not eternal? And marriage is the most lasting relationship that we know anything about. But your marriage is not eternal. You know, Jesus said that in heaven they neither marry nor are given in marriage. There's a relationship that's way above that. 
There's a relationship in your life that's going to go on for eternity. And God says, get to know me. Get to understand me. It's eternal. Listen, when you spend time getting to know him, when you spend time coming to understand him, and you spend time growing in your relationship with him, you're building for eternity. That's never going to be lost. That's, that's going to go on. That's going to be around years from now. So that's the first point. It's eternal. Secondly, because you will find no flaw in him. We talked in Sunday school about being, living in a broken world. You know, everything in this world is broken. And all the people in this world are broken. That's why they frustrate you. And they get it wrong. And that's why you frustrate other people too, because you're broken. We're all broken. Uh, it's an cursed world, and, <clears throat> and we are broken. And so here's what you find. And if you live long enough, you always come to the place where you actually see this. You know, this world doesn't satisfy me. Even the relationships in this world, as blessed and as sweet as they can be, in and of themselves, they can't satisfy you. Why? Because it's all flawed. It's all broken. But do you know you will search from now till the end of eternity and you will find no flaw in him? You will find no error in him. You will find nothing that hurts you carelessly and willfully in him. You will find somebody who the more you gaze at them, the more perfect he is. And the more satisfied your soul is as you look at him. He says, get to know me. Get to know me because I'm the only thing that can satisfy your soul. Now, we are such foolish children that we get preoccupied and distracted with everything around us, don't we? Oh, listen, we can get distracted with the lunch today. We can just be thinking about the lunch today. We can get distracted with a car. We can get distracted with a relationship. We can allow anything to draw us away and distract us. And he says, no, get to know me. Get to know me. Understand me. Get to know who I am. He's the only one that can satisfy your soul. He's the only one that can satisfy. I want you to notice what he says. Because God doesn't use words for no reason. When he throws something in, he puts it in there for for a purpose, right? Uh, But he that glorieth, uh, let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness. Isn't that a wonderful word, loving kindness? Don't you like it when people are kind to you? What about loving kindness? What's God trying to tell us there? He's the God that loves us and that is kind and that cares for us. You're going to have days in this world when you feel like nobody cares. You're going to have days when you feel like you're on your own and nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody's interested. But do you know? He exercises loving kindness all day, every day. He never stops. He never stops loving you. He didn't earn his love. You can't lose his love. And he loves you. Now, don't you want a relationship with someone like that? Don't you want to come into a relationship with somebody who exercises loving kindness all the time? Oh, listen, you can do a lot in the world, and you can help a lot of people in the world, and you can bless a lot of people in the world if you've got that kind of loving kindness going on in your life. And he says, get to know me, because I exercise loving kindness. And 
exercise judgment. Do you know, all kinds of people are going to judge you in your life. And it doesn't matter what they all say about don't judge anybody, they all will judge you. And they all will judge you from their own perspectives and from their own little understanding of the situation. And they'll usually be wrong because they don't know. They just don't know. They don't know what's going on in your life. They don't know who you are. They don't know how God is dealing with you. They don't know what issues you're facing. And they will get it wrong. But do you know there is one who wisely looks at your life and knows exactly where you are? He knows. And he exercises loving kindness anyway. Never, never falsely judges you. He's all wise. He, he knows. And then, <clears throat> and righteousness. He is righteous. You know, our, our, our perception of righteousness is based on what we see around us and what happens around us and who we are and who we deal with and all the rest. But you have in God somebody who never does wrong. He will never do you wrong, ever. Now, that's kind of hard to imagine because in the best relationships where people care for you and love you because of the brokenness of the world and their own brokenness, they, they, they will hurt you. But you know this relationship he's calling you to, he says, no, I will never. He is righteous, always. Now, he'll do some things you're not happy with. But he will always use loving kindness and he will always um, <clears throat> um, judge righteous judgment and he will always do right, do good. It reminds me of the study we've been doing on a, on a Wednesday night. We're talking about trusting God on a Wednesday night. If you haven't been able to come, listen to it on the podcast. We're talking about trusting God. And, um, <clears throat> but three thoughts that enable us to trust God are, He loves me. I can trust Him because He loves me. He knows what's best. Always. I don't know what's best. I think I know what's best, but I don't know what's best. I, and He has the power to do it. He has the power to actually work it out and do it in my life. I can trust him no matter what comes my way because <clears throat> he loves me, he knows what's best, and he has the power to do it. And you know, <clears throat> don't you want to get involved in a relationship like that? Don't you want to come to the place where you sweetly rest uh, in that one? Don't, don't you want to build that sweet relationship of trusting and resting in him? You see, it's, it, it's not peripheral on the outside of life. Don't we do that sometimes with our relationship with God? We, we, we make it, yeah, well, I've got to deal. I, I, you know, I've got to go to work, and I've got to uh, look after the kids, and I've got to clean the house, and I've got to get the car fixed, and I've got to do all these things that are real and important. Oh, and then I've got God. Don't we do that? God says, no, th- this is not peripheral to your life. This is central core to your life. All those things are peripheral. But central core of your life is this relationship with him, getting to know him, learning to walk with him, learning to enjoy him. That, that's, that's what your life's about. Oh, listen, a lot of stuff's going to happen in your life that's incidental, that's peripheral. But he says, <clears throat> this is what really matters. This is what's really important. And it's not a burden that you have to bear. It's a person that you get to enjoy. 
You've got to get over the hump on that one. It's not a burden you have to bear. It's a relationship to develop. It's a relationship to develop through eternity. This relationship with him. This, this is the one. This is it. This is what he wants. This is what's important. Now let me quickly give you the other, <clears throat> the other time that Paul refers to this, uh, these verses. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there if you like. I'll read it for you, though I've got it in front of me here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. Uh, and Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. <clears throat> But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught those things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Why did God save you? It wasn't because you were great or wonderful or fantastic. He saved you because he found you needy. That's why he saved us. <clears throat> and he says, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. <clears throat> he saved you because you were needy. And he stepped in and he loved you. The Bible says he chose the foolish things of the world. Do you, do, you, do you know that if we were to look just on face value at this passage and ask what the qualification was for salvation was, you have to be the foolish things of this world. That's what you need in order to come to him and, and be saved. He saved you because of that. And you may be here this morning and you're not saved. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You may think you've got your life in a mess and it's all wrecked. Well, welcome to the club. Because everybody does. That's where we all go with life. We, we mess it up because we're not able. He doesn't save us because we've got our stuff together and we're living life right and got, got it doing well. He saves us because we're needy people. And if you're needy this morning, he says, come to me. He says, come to me and I will take your life in its mess and in its brokenness and I will save you I will make you my child and I will give you a home in heaven. And you can begin to get to know him. Listen, it is wonderful. Oh, listen, Christian, Christians can be the worst testimony for Christianity sometimes. Because they talk about Christianity in terms of all the things I can't do. Where do you get that idea? Listen, Christianity is not about what I can or can't do. Christianity is about me enjoying this person who loves me, who knows what's best for me and has the power uh, to do it in my life. Christianity <clears throat> is the life. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, he says, listen, come. He's always inviting us to come. Come. <clears throat> if you come to him, I guarantee he'll save you because he never turns anyone down. Just come. Come to him this morning. You're, you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I've been living for the wrong things. I kind of messed up. I've been living. Just come. Come to him. Not to an altar, not to a person, to him. Come to him. Lord, listen, I got it wrong. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Lord, would you save me? You know what? He'll save you. 
Lord, I got it wrong. I'm living life for myself and I'm going after my own things and going my own way. Lord, help me. I want, I, I, I want to glory in you. Just come to him. He'll never turn you down. He wants relationship with you more than you could ever want relationship with him. Just come. And you know what you'll find? You'll find the relationship you've been longing for all your life. You'll find the sweetness in him that you can never find anywhere else. You'll find that which satisfies your soul. If you'll just come to him. Let's stand for prayer. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a moment as the piano plays quietly, and you can just talk to God, right? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning, and thank you for this people. Now, Lord, we freely confess to you, Lord, that we can so easily and so quickly get caught up in a world and all the things that happen in the world. Lord, we can get caught up in money. We can get caught up in power. We can get caught up in what we know and our wisdom, Lord. We can get caught up in all kinds of things. But today, Lord, we see it, and today we want to be caught up in you. Lord, we want to be in that relationship with you. Now, Lord, would you bless? Would you bless your people? Would you speak to hearts and draw your dear people to you, Lord? And may each one that needs to come to you. Lord, save those that need to be saved, Lord. Uh, Take those that need to be drawn into a deeper relationship with you and draw them in, Lord, I pray. We have no confidence in the flesh, but we have confidence in you. Would you bless, Lord, now in these moments in Jesus' name. Just between you and the Lord, you talk to him. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, for these moments. And Lord, we love you and we want you to be the center of our lives. Now, Lord, may you be. And Lord, may there be people who know victory, Lord, because they've come into a place with you today. In Jesus' name.